Fantastic. Well, we are so blessed this morning to have Joel and, and River with us. And uh, I know that Joel's going to bring an incredible word. He literally preaches all over the world and takes the gospel all over the world to everyone and wherever he can go and to make an impact for Jesus. And we're so blessed to have him here with us this morning. And so I want you to put your hands together as Pastor Joel comes right now and brings the word. Come on. How are you doing this morning? Are you well? All right. Why don't you turn around, give someone a high five and you can grab your seat. Thank you guys. You did amazing. I am... it's an absolute blessing to be here. My name is Joel Bennett. I have, um, we were trying to do the math. I've, we've known, my wife and I have known Jamie and Emma since we were dating. Um, I remember sitting in hog's breath with those two in Terrigal, getting third degrees from Jamie because I was dating a friend of theirs. And so I, when Jamie ever speaks and I kind of have to giggle um, because I kind of go, I remember that guy grilling me at hog's breath. <laughs> But it's an absolute pleasure to be here. I, I have no right to speak into something that I've never been invited to be a part of. And so, Ben and Amy, thank you for having us. I know it's an absolute um, honor for us to speak. And I get, do, do get to speak a little bit around the world. If I'll give you a 30-second snapshot of my life right now. We have been traveling for the last four years on the road to, uh, not recovery, um, the road to seeing people find Jesus. And what that looks like is I go everywhere and anywhere, everywhere and anywhere. My, um, our, our line for our ministry is by any means necessary. So for everyone is what we do. So this last year, we've done America six times. I've done Kenya, Mexico. We, we just flew in from Kenya and we saw about three and a half thousand decisions for Christ in just a couple of days. And God is doing miracles all around the world. But you know what? I've, I actually don't speak in Australia all that often anymore. And so I'm, it's, for me, it's like, oh, I'm more nervous here than I've ever been in the world, <laughs> which is kind of funny for me, but it's going to be a great morning. I know that when I got asked to speak, I, I, I asked God, what should I be speaking? And there was a message that I'm, I, I speak sometimes, it's all about the will of God. Because I believe that we've all got plans and purposes and we've all got something to do in life. But this morning, I believe that the, the, the greater mountain region actually isn't just a, oh yeah, it's for somebody. It really is for everyone. But to reach everyone requires you and I to do the details of life. Yeah. I remember having a UBD when I first got married. Anyone know what a UBD is? Yeah. In America, they call it a street atlas. Um, these days, you call it Siri. <laughs> and everyone says, thank God for Siri. I just transferred one woman's voice for another. Um, sorry, it's, a, it's an easy joke. It's just, it's just warming up, you know. It only gets better from there. But I remember when we were younger, you would put my wife in the co-pilot's seat and everyone knows the co-pilot's job is directions and music. And that was okay because back then it was just a CD player and you... Now it's Spotify with everything you can think of and sometimes nothing you like. And then you'd say, we need to get to the city. So from the Hills District to the city, it was, can you go and find, maybe it was Castle Ray Street and should go and find that. It was on page 192 D4. Like, you don't even know what that means. It's like, just going, what does that mean? He's talking about something. Anyway. 
And we would, she would find the page and it would go, we lived on page 375. <laughs> Don't worry, it's okay, it's getting there. And she would find our house and she would then have to go through seven pages to get to 192 and it would go off the edge. You're like, oh, don't send us off the edge. <laughs> and she would find our way and finally you get to a point in the, the, the relationship of the car ride because everything escalates in the car for you. Have you ever noticed that men, when there's an issue somewhere in your life, it happens when you're on the way to an event? Everything happens on the way to church. Everything, like if you, that's why we came in separate cars today, so we wouldn't fight. I'm joking. It's not true at all. But we would start going, and finally Joel gets this idea that we need to get there faster than what she is taking me. See, Siri these days says I'll be there at 9.16 and I can trust Siri. But my wife would say we'd be there in 45-ish minutes. And so she would take us away. I just shut it. I know where I'm going because I knew better than the co-pilot. Any men ever been in that situation where you know better than the (laughs) co-pilot? To only be found out about 10 minutes later when you hit a dead end that you didn't know better than the co-pilot. In fact, she then says, I told you so. See, there are some details to get to where you need to go that we need to follow. And we put someone in the co-pilot seat of our life, which I believe needs to be your Jesus. He actually isn't just your co-pilot, he should be your pilot, but he needs to be the person who starts directing your every step. It says, good steps of a man are ordered by the Lord. So today I want to help us get on this journey with Jesus to seeing all that you're called to be, that the Blue Mountains region, that everyone can be reached for Jesus. See, I've got family who have actually just recently moved to the mountains, and so I'm actually excited that God is doing something up here because just by chance they might be reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ and come to the knowledge of who he is in every area of their life. See, there's this story in 2 Kings chapter 5, and I'm going old school. We'll go Old Testament. It's the only way to go. So if you have a Bible, a paperback, you can turn that to 2 Kings chapter 5. If you've got an electronic Bible, pray it doesn't die. Um, Just so you know, I do both when I preach these days. I've got an old Bible that I stuck a new Bible in. This just helps. And if you don't have one, we're going to put on the screens behind you and the big Bible in the air. (laughs) says this in 2 Kings chapter 5 verse 1 through 18. Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Now the Syrians on their raids had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, Would that my Lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria. He would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his Lord. Thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. Just pause for a second. Naaman went on the word of maybe a 10-year-old girl. The details to get his healing came from the mouth of someone who had no right speaking into him. She wasn't even allowed to go and see him. She had to say it to someone, his wife. That's, just another, that's a whole other message, but anyway. 
And thus so spoke the girl from the land of Israel and the king of Syria in desperation. Remember, Syria and Israel have been at war for eons now. They've been as, as long as you can think of, they've been at war. So if you're worried about what's going on at the news, just so you know, it happened 2,000 some years ago, happened 3,000 some years ago. It's still going to happen until Jesus returns. Just again, side note. And he wrote a note, go now and I'll send a letter to the king of Israel. So he went taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold and 10 changes of clothing. That's how I know his wife packed for him. Because when I go on my trips, I just take one pair of jeans, three shirts. If my wife's going, I have four bags. It's true. The boy, my boys just said it's true, all right? If you're online, they're saying it's true. So he went taking the, the clothes and he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you Naaman, my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and make alive? That this man sends word to, for me to cure him of his leprosy? Only consider to see how he's seeking a quarrel with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, I love the butts in the Bible. It's just, I mean, when there's butts in the Bible, you understand God's about to show up in ridiculous ways. So you have to, if you're a young person, read in between the butts. Don't look at butts, read in between the butts. Sorry, it's, it's speaking to me again. So Naaman came to Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him. Didn't even get to his house. He, he got to the gate of his house and Elisha wouldn't even see him. Like, have you ever tried to get something from God and felt like you got the stiff arm from somebody? Have you ever tried to get to an altar call? Or you've tried to find out how God can reach me and you've just not got the response you expected. All the promises of God you've been waiting for still haven't met you yet. The healing you've been requiring haven't come through. This is where Naaman is right now. The, the, the man of God won't even meet him and he's come all this way. Go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored and it shall be clean. But, again, but, Naaman was angry and went away saying, Behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure him of his leprosy. See, the message today is just, if you want to put a title, it's in the details. What have you given up on before the breakthrough? Where have you said enough is enough? This generation is one of the, the most informative generations of history, but gives up on something way faster than anyone else. We expect the overnight success today and not spend time to prove that it will happen. We, we want the latest fad that lasts a month, fortnight. Muscles without the weights. We want to succeed without paying the price. We want to win without the hard training. We want the blessing but not the sacrifice. I believe to give everything you need to give your best. Not half of what you've got, not some of what you've got, but I want you to give your best. Not hold anything back. You have to sometimes pick yourself up when you do fail because you will fail and try again and again and sometimes again. There's this scripture in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. It says, my God's grace is sufficient for you in your weakness. I have a read. It goes, my 
grace, God's grace is unmerited, undeserved, ridiculous favor is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in your weakness. God does not require you to be strong and powerful. In fact, he needs you to be human and yourself. He requires to get the best out of you to be you. He doesn't require you to be me. He doesn't require you to be Ben. He doesn't require you to be the best of the best. He requires you to be you. Weak, old you. In fact, God is not using me because I'm good at what I'm doing. He's using me because I'm weak vessel. Saying, God, use me. He'll do the same for you. In your area of expertise, in your workplace, in your friendship groups, in your family, in your community, He'll use you. So today, I've got three you got tos. Three things I feel we need to do to see the will of God play out in our lives. You've got to do everything He tells you to do. Sounds so simple, right? This year, uh, well, actually it was two years ago, I, I have had the privilege of being invited to Mexico. And they promised me thousands of people. <laughs> I love when someone promises me, promises me thousands of people because it usually means it won't be. And they promised this grandiose thing. I get there and there was maybe 50 or 60 people in the crowd. I preached my heart out and I thought I was better than they were because I spoke English. That was legitimately my bad thinking. And they came and brought two kids who made decisions for Christ at the end of the service to me. And in, in their broken English, they said, thank you. And they were in tears and smiling. And I'm like, I don't know what's going on. Because <laughs> they're speaking Spanish to their translator who's trying to not tell me everything to be respectful of the situation. They send the boys away and they tell me their story. They said, when this young boy was five years old, he was, he was trafficked as a sex slave into a prison. At the age of eight, he was then unsold to politicians and we rescued him now at the age of 11. I sat there going, God, I thought I was coming to do them a favor. And you've now brought something in front of me that I have no right to be a part of, but I have to do something because I've got three sons. And I was like, God, what do I do? So I, I thought preaching was the best thing I could do. And so I preached my guts out. I left and then I started getting stirred that I should do something. So we started doing a foundation called Out of Harm's Way. And as we started that, I have now gone back with a friend the next time. And this time I said, God, I want to see the other side of that. I want to meet some perpetrators. Because there's no good just meeting the people who have been through it. I want to know what the person was thinking when they were doing it. And so I met this lady in an organization and she said, Joel, I've got two men who are now Christ followers, but they are one of the two of the worst you'll ever meet. I'm like, there's no way that can be right. And so I sat down in this little room in the middle of Mexico City with two ex-human traffickers. And I went, I'm going to ask questions that are going to hurt. I want to ask questions that convict them of their sin again. I want to make sure that I want to throw stones as hard as possible. So I asked questions and I asked questions and I asked questions and they gave me all the responses. They said that their mother was a prostitute and they saw that happening and they didn't want that to happen to her anymore. So they took control of it. They, they started to thieve things from the people who had come because they did it in the house. And then it got to a point where they got old enough, they became a, a gang of men and he became so good at what he did that he went and would steal 14-year-old girls and get them fake IDs and sell them 15-minute slots inside of Mexico City. 
And I'm sitting there wanting to fight the men. And then he goes, and then we got arrested. I'm like, yeah! Because they got sentenced to 20 years in prison. He was 22 years old when he went to prison. By the time he was 22, he had on his arm a tattoo of a girl in chains because he was the best at what he did. As I sat down with him that day, I'm sitting there thinking, God, how do I even reconcile this whole concept of, this, of, of doing everything? Because this just gets me, I don't even know what to do, but I know I need to ask the questions. I said, how do you now know that you're okay? And he goes, because I got sent to maximum security one night. He goes, in maximum security, I got my own cell. It was the best night of my life. I'm like, <laughs> the best night of you. You should have. And I was like getting so angry. He goes, that night was the longest night, but next to me was a, 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 one of the worst murderers in Mexican history. And that night he happened to murder his cellmate. He heard the whole thing and he said, I cried myself to sleep. The next morning he went out to breakfast, he came back into his cell and they moved him to that cell next to him. And he asked the gentleman, why, why did you kill him? He goes, because he wouldn't read to me. He goes, well, what do you want me to read? I can read. And the only thing that they were given to read was a Bible. And he goes, I started to read this thing. I'd never heard of Jesus. I'd heard of St. Jude. I'd heard of St. Paul. I'd never heard of Jesus. And he starts to read the Bible. And he started in Matthew. And Matthew is all this information. He goes, there was all the begots of the begots of the begots of the begots. And he goes, that was all very well and good. But it didn't sound real good. He goes, and so Matthew, Mark, Luke, Luke was very interesting. There was a lot of healings going on. I was very interested in the supernatural at the time because I needed something supernatural. And so I started working out there was something going on. He goes, and by John, I met Jesus. If you want to do everything, you just got to start with the most simplest things you've been given to do. If you want to reach everyone, because everyone, even the worst of the worst in a Mexican prison deserve Jesus. And if he can't use you and I to do everything he's asked us to do, he'll use a Bible in the middle of a dark, dingy cell to shout his praises. And let me ask you, will you be someone who will do everything he can, has asked you to do to reach the lost? Will you be someone who will step out of your comfort zone? Because let me tell you, Jesus isn't uncomfortable. He actually wants you to step out and do what he, only he can do. He wants you to start doing something. Will you do everything he tells you to? See, I believe we've got an ADD generation. I think I've got a little bit of ADD. I think we'd all agree to that. And it's attention deficit disorder. We've actually got it spiritually probably more so these days. Have you ever been to a prayer meeting where you can't keep focus on one thing at a time? Have you ever been to an event? Actually, we don't even do prayer meetings. Like I used to come to prayer meetings and sit under the pew. I'd fall asleep and I'd pray for hours. It was just... But we've, I haven't been to one of them in years. Now we've got to have a, a, a rock band and a this and a that, and it's all crazy. But now it's like halfway through worship, I've got my phone out trying to work out what's going on in the world. I'm constantly con- contacted, and so I'm totally and everywhere at one time. I worked out something this year, that the, the way that we surrender is the same way we look at it as our phones. Head down, 
hands open, surrendered to what's going in. What do you surrender to? Young person, where is your attention? Because if we want to do everything we, he asks us to do, we have to start paying attention to the still small voice. We actually have to start listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit. We actually have to get the word of God into us like those men in a prison cell. The story continues that those men, now they've got a a church that's flourishing in the middle of Mexico City. The two brothers had the same same thing happen to them. The word of God got so revolutionized in their life. they They just did what the Bible said. So they did what the Bible said. They did what it said. So they saw miracles in the prison. They saw other men who didn't deserve Jesus Find Jesus in the prison. They had thousands of men in a prison worshipping Jesus because they did what was supposed to be done. See, when everything's on the line, will you still do everything he tells you to? See, Naaman was a soldier and he knew what it meant to give everything. So you've got to stop thinking rationally. Once you've done everything, you have to stop thinking rationally. Rational thinking will ruin you for Jesus. <laughs> Like rational thinking keeps you so concerned by everyone else. It's like rational thinking in the middle of worship says, what are they thinking about? Is she looking at me? Like, rational thinking will ask the questions of, that you don't even need to ask, though you're worried about it for some reason. Matthew 9.20 is the woman with the issue of blood. What would have happened if she had have asked the question, will he really heal me? What about Zacchaeus, the short little tax collector? Am I, I mean, I can't even reach the first branch of the tree, let alone how is Jesus going to look at me when I'm a tax collector? What about when Zacchaeus then goes and takes the money back to all the houses he stole from and gives restitution? Like, what are they going to think? Rational thinking would have said, don't do it. Rational thinking will, will actually stop you from doing the will of God. 1 Samuel 17, what about David and Goliath? David, just the little cheese boy, sent, taking a picnic to his brothers. What about if he had a thought rationally when they put the, the, the armor of God onto him? What happens if they think rationally? What about Rahab when the spies turned up? What about if she had a thought rationally? Let me tell you, if any one of them, those people had a thought rationally, we would not have a story to tell today. We would still be waiting for Jesus to show up. See, I believe that you've got to lay off your, the pride that holds you back and the insecurities that grip your life and the mistakes that were so long ago. You've got to throw them off. See, he wants to turn your tests into testimonies and your messes into messages. He wants to do all those things and more. Hebrews 12.1 says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Throw it off. Throw off those things that so easily cling to you. Have you ever noticed it's not even the big things that cling to us, it's the small things? And that will chew away your mind when you go to sleep at night. Or it might be your finances. God, I can't even serve because I can't get my finances right. God, how do I actually do that? Because you are so big and I am so small. And we do all these thought processes when God's just going, I don't actually really require you, but I love you. Because God probably doesn't need Joel Bennett. In fact, all he requires is himself. 
but he's chosen an earthly vessel, just like you and I. See, to reach everyone, to do what we're called to do, to see the promises of God and the will of God come through our lives, we just have to do everything he tells you and to stop thinking rationally. This morning, I don't know where you find yourself. You have to give all those things away. Stop thinking about your circumstances. Stop making up excuses. You have to understand that when you surrender your whole life to Jesus, the healer, the forgiver, the life giver, rational thinking went out the window. Jesus didn't think rationally when he went to the cross. He didn't think about what if they don't accept me. In fact, he said, what if they do? See, then his last thought is, you've got to go all the way. I'm going to ask the team to come up. You've got to go all the way. There's this story of Naaman. And Naaman is an interesting character because he was a mighty man of valor. He was like the best of the best. There was no one better, but he had this thing called leprosy. And leprosy in the, in the ancient world was kind of a death sentence. Leprosy would mean that if he was, how far advanced, we don't actually know, but it was enough that he was noticeable now. So it would mean that the fleshy parts of his skin would start to decay and erode and then fall off. So his earlobes would have started to decay and fall off. His nose might have started to fall off. I don't know if you remember Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, so those who remember. I know it was one of those old movies, but the... the see, see, I know. I'm old, I'm sorry. I'm no longer the youth pastor I once was. But there's this part where they go up the stairs to the, the, the then king goes up the stairs and goes to a seer and the seer is completely shattered and his face is coming off. That was leprosy. And here we are, a mighty man of valor with leprosy. The modern version of leprosy is sin. It's shame. It's your pain. It's those things that so easily cling to us. The broken promises, the divorces, the, the, the family issues, those things which so hold us. And here is Naaman. He's taken a few friends to this journey to Israel from Syria. To get to Israel from Syria, he's got to cross the Jordan River. He's got to go down a little bit and then he'll get to the king's palace, which was just beside the old city. He goes in and the, the king then gets angry and says, who am I? And rips his clothes. So he then goes to Elisha's house and he goes along the Jordan River the, again to get there. Because that's how you get somewhere is knowing where the river was. You'd go along the river. Gets to the front of the house and he knocks on the door and doesn't get a response. But he gets, go wash in the Jordan seven times. Has anyone ever been to Israel? It's, uh, did you get to go to Jordan? It's actually not even pretty. <laughs> it's actually disgusting. <laughs> like dirty. And if you're going in to get baptized, in fact, 30,000 people before you've been there. And so all, I'm a hygiene freak. Like I go and I've got the, disinfect me everywhere, please. And they would go in and, the dirt would come up and the sediment would rise to the top of the... And I'm like, ugh. They'd get baptized and they'd go down in white garments and come up in brown like, ah. 
And Naaman's response was, surely the Abna and the Farpar rivers are far grander than that. Because let me tell you, Syria is actually a beautiful country. It's actually stunning. It has beautiful landscapes and beautiful rivers. And he was seeing it through eyes of Assyria and said, why would I bother with this ugly thing when I've got beautiful, pristine waters from where I am? And see, he was not wanting to do everything that he, the man of God said. He wasn't wanting, he was thinking rationally. And so he gets in a half and a puff. Have you ever been through something where you just want an answer from God and he doesn't come through, so you get in a half and a puff and try and do it yourself? And so he gets back in his chariot, drops off no money because he was angry, and rides along the Jordan River. The Jordan River which contained his healing. The Jordan River which contained his promise. The Jordan River which was where wholeness was supposed to be. See, when you're trying to do the will of God, have you, when you go about something, have you ever noticed that God will remind you the whole time, I'm over here, I'm over here, I'm trying to get your attention. Just step this way, I'm right here waiting for you. He's in his chariot and he's with his friends. And his friends, if you keep reading, it says his friends turn to him and say, Naaman, he said, wash and you'll be clean. And it says he, just got, he went away angry. Finally, it gets to the point where even he has to put his feet in the water to cross the Jordan. He has to cross his promise to go home. And you're still angry. And finally, his friends go, would you not just go, just go one, go one time? Like, what would it hurt? See, he was a Syrian. He didn't know about God. He didn't know what would happen. In fact, he was trusting a 10-year-old girl's voice in this that's not rational thinking but his friends the community everyone told him hey why don't you just give it a go you just never know so Naaman walks down and he takes the the the, the, the stance and he looks at his pain and his shame and his brokenness and he dips and nothing happens because he'd said go seven times but in fact he only went once and goes nothing happens maybe you should go home but he's dirty by now and he's got ten changes of clothing so he's okay so he dips again and again and again nothing is now happening it's not even remotely starting to get better he starts to walk out and his friends are still there Going, he said, go seven times, Naaman. Don't stop. Don't stop on six. Don't stop on five. Go seven. See, in the biblical numerology or whatever it is, I'm, I'm a little tired, so it's okay. Seven is the number of completion. Five is grace. Seven is completion. And the most beautiful thing is that seven has been trumped by Jesus. So you don't have to go seven times anymore. You can go a thousand times to Jesus because he's torn the veil so you can enter into, into him every single moment. You need healing, go again. You need restoration, go again. You need Jesus, come again. It doesn't matter what you've done or where you've been. Here's Naaman. I almost picture him get to a point where it's so desperate. 
and he's in the river. He's like, I don't even know if you're real. I'm just going on a 10-year-old girl. That kind of seems really silly. But God, if that's your name, he said Yahweh, he said Jehovah. What name is your name? But I don't want to live like this anymore. So you don't have to live in the shame of your past. You don't have to live in the pain of your today. Those circumstances don't have to hold you anymore. Because when you get to your final moment, when you get to the end of yourself, the only thing left is your desperation. And in a desperate state, you might have found yourself here today. Let me tell you, you're in the perfect place with a whole lot of desperate people. Because let me tell you, when you find Jesus, if you ain't desperate, it'll just be an emotional decision. But when you find Jesus and he turns up in your last moments and he starts to give you resurrection life and he starts to show you that you've got a plan. He starts to show you your future. He starts to show you the will of God. He starts to show you the promises that the pain and shame of past now gets to the point of the promise. Naaman dips, comes up. And I wonder, right, if nothing happened straight away. And he had to trump him, tramp, walk all the way back to his friends. And his friends are standing a ways off. Because have you ever noticed when you're expecting something to happen, you can't see it? But everyone else says, you're different. Something's happened. Have you ever noticed that that's what happens when God has shown up in you? And he starts to walk off. And all of a sudden, his friends are like, ha! And in front of them, the healing starts to take place. The ear starts to regrow. All the nose fleshy parts came alive. The scars started to drop off. And it says his skin became like babies. I don't know about you this morning. But there is this guy called Jesus who came 2,000 some years ago and took a cross made for Barabbas. Actually, the cross was so normal in that time and age. It was one of the most normal things in history. See, the Romans were so perfected at killing people. Sorry to be, if you're young, they were. That they would kill them really well. And there was one day in history, one day every year that the Jewish people would ask for one person to be released and someone to take their place. And that one day was the day Jesus happened to be arrested. Now, I'm not a smart man. I don't know if you could tell that really. But that seems like a setup from heaven, if you ask me. That Jesus just so happened to be there on the right day fact he took Barabbas' spot he took a cross he didn't deserve that cross was so disgusting it was probably stained with someone else's blood someone else's urine someone else's life was stuck on that cross and Jesus took that cross I'll tell you why he took that cross because he wanted to prove to you and I that no matter what your past is no matter what your background is that that past is not as bad as what Jesus laid on 
Jesus took it and he took every part of that for you and I. Laid down and died a hopeless death, a sinner's death. Three days goes by and he rises again. See, the most amazing news that I could come with you today is that you don't have to die a sinner's death. You don't have to live separated from God any longer. The truth is because of Jesus, you now can live in resurrection life. You can now live in the the knowledge that he loves you so much so that he can take a cross and rise again and come back to life for your whatever you've been through. See, your promises are found in an empty grave. Today, I want to ask you this question. The will of God for your life, where is it found? See, some of you will say Jesus. Some of you will say your business. Some of you will... I would suggest that if we can't say it's Jesus, then we've missed it. Where's your healing coming from? If you're saying it's the doctor, I would suggest that we need to probably reassess and go, actually, it's coming from Jesus. So I can I ask you to close your eyes and bow your heads? And we do this in, in every service I, I go to. This is everywhere around the world. I ask this one question. Do you know Jesus? Because for me, it's become, it's very real. From dark, dingy prisons in Mexico to the beautiful blue mountains in Australia. Jesus lives. He is here to forgive you of your sin. He's here to give you a plan and a future. He's here so you don't have to live with your past in mind. So if that's you and go, Joel, I need Jesus to forgive me of my sin. I need to know that he loves me. I need to know and come into a relationship with him. Today, that's you. Why don't you just raise your hand with every eye closed and head bowed and go, Joel, that's me. Quickly, just throw your hand up wherever you are, nice and high. Thank you so much, man. If you say, Joel, I need Jesus, I need him to come and take me where I'm at, the circumstances of my life don't determine the future. Just say, Joel, I want to surrender to him today. So I'm going to count to three, if that's you. When I say three, you can say, Joel, I need Jesus. Whether you've already raised it up or you need to again today, I want you to just raise your hand nice and high so I know who I'm praying for. One, he loves you. He loves you so much so that he would send Jesus. Two, wherever you're sitting today, whether you're at home, on a computer, whether you're sitting in the room, he loves you. Three, quickly, just throw your hand up nice and high. One, two, three, throw it up. Thank you. Thank you. It's amazing. Can we pray this prayer, City Church, together? Say, Jesus, today, I thank you that you took the cross, that you died for my sin so I could have a new life. Today, I'm forgiven, set free, starting again. In Jesus' name, I'm a Christ follower. Amen.
you made that decision this morning. There may have been someone who, who, who looked around to see if you made a response and they will probably come and Ben will be able to, Pastor Ben will be able to tell you more about that in a second. But before I finish, I want to ask this question. Where are you on that journey today? Have you given everything? Are you thinking rationally too much? Are you going all the way? Because if you're finding yourself stuck and not getting the will of God in your life, maybe there's an area there where you need God to come through. Maybe you've got a healing that you need. This morning, could I ask you, maybe we're going to sing a song just for a moment. As we do, I'd love you to respond to God, not to me, not to Pastor Ben to God and have your name and moment have your moment with God where he's going to show up because one thing I've learned is that he's faithful all the way to the end thank you so much for having me